Storm Bowling Products, the Bowler's Company presents the Storm Collegiate Spotlight with Steve Klimkin and Tim Berg. Storm's Executive Director of Marketing and Above180.com's Tim Berg are going to introduce a variety of collegiate players, coaches, and key people involved in promoting the sport of bowling. Now, here's Coach K and Tim Berg. Joining us today on the Storm Collegiate Spotlight podcast is Bill Spigner. Bill is a USBC Gold Certified Coach. He also helped Team USA this year. And you can find out more about Bill. You can check out BillSpigner.com. Bill, it's Tim Berg and Coach K. Thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure being here. I haven't been with you, Tim, in a long time. And uh, it's good to talk with you, too, Steve. It, it has been a while, Bill, and I guess we thought we'd bring you on. It's the Storm Collegiate Spotlight podcast, but we want to bring things out from a little bit of a different perspective from someone like yourself who's a coach on the lanes and who helps a lot of players prepare for college and maybe even when they're in college as well. So what advice might you have for someone who's in high school and they're, they're looking to improve their game to where they can get the coach's eye of, a, of maybe that university they're looking to go bowl at? Well, the high school kids, it's, you know, it's a, it gets a, it's a little tough sometimes because a lot of them don't want to go to college, but the ones that do, you really try to get them to learn to get educated about the sport and playing on sport conditions and you can't you can't tell them about team play because they're not in that environment in, in high school. But uh, I have kids that that are bowl junior gold. They want to bowl college, and a couple of them are bowling college now. And they're always thirsty for knowledge, and especially playing sport conditions. And you know, the one thing about junior gold when it originally came about, uh, there was there were sport conditions, and I never heard any of the kids complain about the conditions being tough. The only thing I heard them complain about is where do we go to learn how to bowl in these conditions? So my job is to teach them how to bowl in the conditions and understand them what their ball is doing. That's cool. Now, understanding, like you had just mentioned, like what their ball is doing and how maybe it differs uh, from a house shot, what, what, what does that mean to you when you're looking at what does somebody's ball do differently on a house shot versus what happens when you're bowling on a tougher sport condition and, and preparing for and competing in uh, an event like a junior gold? Well, the house conditions, you know, it's so side to side as far as ball reaction where you can see a dramatic difference if you miss outside your target to inside your target. You can see the ball, you know, hook a lot more, obviously, in the dry and hook a lot less in the in the oil. And then more in the sport bowling, we're trying to get them to train their eye more front to back and more playing the lanes in the mid lane and the front ends to, to see the little area they might have there. Cause all the blends are in the first, you know, like 10 feet to 30 feet. And if they can't line up right in that area of the lane with the right roll and the right rev rate to play on top of the pattern, especially on the fresh, then you don't, you can't see a ball reaction. So everybody always looks at the end and you try and train them more to play the middle of the lane where the pattern really is. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually just got done um, working a camp recently with Brad Angelo in, in Bowl U. And that one of the things that they pointed out at that event was that a lane is actually more than 17 times as long as it is wide. So why do so many times we look at, like, side to side when really we should be looking front to back? So it sounds like you, you're 100% on board with, with that kind of a focus as well, yeah. Yeah, that's the way I always kind of played because you're always – you know, growing up with me, you were playing more on track shots, but you still played 
the mid lane and what the ball was doing there because they had to roll at the right time to be able to finish in the back end. And even today, so many people are focused on how the ball reacts in the back end, but how does the ball get to the back end? It has to go through the fronts and the mid lane to get to the back end. And if it's not performing correct there, you don't understand it, then you can't get a back end reaction. So, Bill, when you're giving a lesson to a younger player, how do you know how much information is too much information where you don't want to have them experience information overload, you could say? You want to give them enough to help them, but not too much to overload their brain. Where is that fine line, and how are you as a coach able to distinguish that? Well, uh, you hit the nail on the head. You, you do overload, but I use so much video, and I keep explaining it to the, my students uh, what's going on. So when I take a, do a lesson, I'll, I'll video them right away, obviously, and go over with them. And then during the lesson, I may videotape them five, six, seven more shots, and especially when they throw the ball off or not, and then try to train, train them to understand their feelings of the shot and what it feels like relative to what the ball did. So they start having a better find, finer sense of understanding of their sights of the ball and their feels, and they can relate them to each other. And especially on the tougher patterns, if they never bowled on a tougher pattern, it's, it, it's hard because they, you know, they expect to have help and the help isn't there. So sight and feel is very important. And uh, I just never stop trying to educate them about what they're feeling and seeing. And is, is that, it, I mean, do you see a, a lot of bowlers, do they struggle with what they think is happening and what it feels like? And or is, uh, when you point that out, does that generally make kind of quick sense to them? Or is that something that's kind of a hard concept? It's, it varies tremendously. You'll have one person that say, I threw that ball exactly the same. It felt the same. And mm-hmm. so, well, it was different. But the sense of feel is so sometimes so sensitive, especially at the release point. And even the highest skilled people sometimes can't feel the little differences. Yet watching, you can see the little differences in the ball reaction. And, and that's, that's an ongoing thing. And eventually they do get it. it, but it takes time. And other people, they may be a lot more athletic. They played a lot more sports, so they have much more heightened sense of feel of their body movement because they're more athletic and somebody that's a little less athletic doesn't have that sense of feel or they hadn't had a chance to play a lot of sports. So you're try- basically training them how to, you know, think about what they're feeling. And it's, uh, it, it varies tremendously on who gets it and who doesn't. And how much of a challenge is it from when they go to the original, their house pattern where they said they have a lot of free area, free hook, et cetera, free hold to these tougher patterns, how much, how much of a mental roadblock do some of these uh, students have to understand that, look, you know, maybe leaving a two-pin, maybe leaving a four-pin, it's not the end of the world, make my spear and move along, as opposed to thinking, well, I should have fell. I hit where I was aiming and I should have struck. It, it gets hard. You know, I've watched a lot of kids at junior gold over the years, and, uh, you know, there's some college stuff with my kids when they were going to college. And it's hard to kind of – lower your expectations a little bit score-wise. And like you said, make the spare and go on to the next shot. And, and to getting them to understand that if you leave a two-pin, it's, it's actually a good miss. And if you left a bucket, it's not such a good miss. So leaving a two-pin, your ball roll usually has to be a little bit better and you're closer. When you start leaving buckets and buckets with a seven-pin, then you're, you're kind of pretty far off in your ball reaction. So 
getting them to understand that and getting people to understand when they leave a 10 pin that it's not a right to strike. So many things have to happen to correct the strike and that you have to look at that 10 pin as, as a building block for the next shot or any shot you're throwing is basically the shot as a building block for the next shot and getting them to understand that you just got to suck it up and make the spare and go on to the next shot and eventually learn to understand why you're leaving the 10 pins. And that, that's a hard, hard thing for a lot of people to, to swallow is, is that they leave a 10 pin in, in, or a 7 pin or a lefty and why they leave it. And there's a reason. It's not, it's not the perfect shot. You may have thrown it perfectly for yourself, but it's not the perfect shot for what you're playing on at that time. And then also to go on because you're only in the, in the major tournaments, you're only bowling five frames on a lane. And if you can't carry on one lane, that doesn't mean you can't carry on the next lane and making them get conscious of getting the most they can out of the game they're on at, at that time, rather than getting mad and blowing a couple of spares and bowling a worse game. Now you mentioned getting mad right there. And, and I think that's, you know, the, the pin carry and the frustration and stuff. And we've had, uh, we've had Dr. Dean on before talking about mental strategy. I mean, how important do you think the mental game is when you're looking at competing at a higher level? Uh, it, it's very important. I mean, it's to me, it's a, I always divide it up. It's 100% physical and 100% mental. So your your physical game mm-hmm. got to be intact, and you got to be mentally knowledgeable about your physical game and your playing environment. The emotional side of it is is the side you have to attack with a lot of people and to try and keep them emotionally on an even keel and not get those highs and lows. And that's, that's a, that's a hard part with a kid in the, cause you know, they're going well, they're getting excited and pumped up and you see a lot of hand slapping and, you know, jumping around and very happy. And then all of a sudden they start not playing well. And all of a sudden there's depression sets in kind of like that. I'm not saying they're depressed, but you know, all of a sudden they're not doing well, they're frustrated and, and all of a sudden they're not smiling and, and, and there's too wide of a swing in that. And especially when you're bowling in a long, long format, you have to mm-hmm. really keep even all the way through. And I just had a lesson with a kid just now, a two-hander is learning how to bowl and, and explain to his team environment, you know, in knowing his team in the past that he bowls for, he's a sophomore in high school and they would get really excited. And then when they started bowling bad, they would just start laughing and playing around and stuff. And I was coaching him about getting prepared for that and to, for him to stay within his own game and his own keeping a very even keel because the massive ups and downs just really kill you. And I, I see a lot in high school too. I've seen a lot with a lot of kids. I, mean, I remember my son Robbie when he was younger, he was a very talented bowler. He'd get a strike and slap it out in the fourth frame of the first game. <laughs> and I said, that's only one ball. And the next ball, you have a down. You know, he, 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 his emotions went up and down like a yo-yo. And uh, he got it going. He was tenacious. When he didn't get it going, he's gets frustrated. But I think that happens to a lot of kids. And teaching them the uh, the emotional side of the game is very, very important. And, the, and that's the mental side of the game. And knowing what you are and how you react to certain situations and how do you get yourself out of a situation that you're in mentally where you're really upset and you, and, and 
and it's affecting your play, how do you reel yourself back in and get back on an even keel so you can stay and start focusing on playing the game? And, Bill, you've mentioned your son, Robbie, a few times. How were you able to play that role of coach and dad and try to help him when he needed the help, back off when he needed you to back off? And what advice you maybe have for some folks out there, some parents out there, of how they can do that best and help their children succeed bowling? Well, it's always a it's always a delicate balance, and I'll refer back to me with my son. I had to learn myself, one, to be the coach, the father, the shoulder to cry on, or the buddy. So I had to learn when to do what. And so a parent's the same way. And, and when you're out there competing, a kid doesn't want to be coached. You know, they want to be able to do it on their own and stuff, and they get mad. And I, like a lot of times I'll see the parents say, I want my kid to smile. And I said, well, me, I want to see them being mad when they're not per- per- performing well because then they have a desire to get better. If they're smiling and joking around, they don't care. So it, it's a delicate balance. It's, it's, a, it's a hard thing for a parent. And a lot of times the parents, and I have to even do it with some of our private lessons, is tell the parents, it's just me and your child, and we'll talk about what they did after we get done. Because sometimes parents want to get right in there with you and start telling you everything they see with the kid. Or, or even when the mm-hmm. kid's getting a lesson, they'll tell them what to do. And, the, you know, the parents got to be back there and, uh, and be a cheerleader, especially in competition. Because, you know, if, if they play baseball, football, basketball, the parents can't say anything to the kids. They're not there. But bowling is so close, the kid comes back and they can talk to mom or dad and, you know, get all this kind of helpful information, hopefully, or, or get it, – it's tough. The environment is so close, it's, it's hard. I think the parents, when the kids are coaching, playing, let them figure it out. And if the parents don't know the answers, go to get some good help. Hey, now, speaking of Robbie, he, I know he was on the USBC Board of Directors just a couple of years ago. What's, what's he up to now? Um, he's, he just he, – he didn't uh, run again for this next coming year. He was on for uh, three terms. I think he has one term left. So he's, he's a kind of in private equity as his own company. And they bought a company last a year and a half ago that they own with a, with an investor and him and his partner. And so he's doing that and looking to buy other companies right now. And eventually he'd like to get back into bowling because he's, his roots are in bowling. And that's why he was, uh, what to be on the USBC board of directors and uh, served on a lot of committees there. And he's a, he's a financial wizard and he's, he's brilliant. Not because he's my son, because I, I couldn't argue with him when he was younger. I told him one time, I said, I can't argue with you. You're smarter than me and faster than me. So <laughs> I had to learn. That <laughs> I knew enough that I was over my head with my own kid, but, uh, but anyways, he's, he's there. He's doing very well. And he's, he's, he's has a great passion for the sport of bowling and um, hopefully eventually uh, he can get back into it and be another a contributor to the sport which he has been with uh, being on the board of directors for USBC yeah Bill it seems like the USBC is kind of starting under Chad Murphy's direction it seems like we're seeing a lot of the 
the, the stuff that we saw on the, on the collegiate side of things from not releasing patterns to bowling on more sport-compliant patterns, moving into the adult tournaments, the USBC Open Championships, not releasing the patterns, trying to make it, in their opinion, a, a level playing field for everyone, no live stream events, etc. Are, are you in tune with them on that and keeping it as, as fair for everyone as we can so that if you bowl the Open Championships in, in say, uh, March, you're, gonna get, you're not going to have any more advantage than if you bowl it in June or July and you've had a chance to watch the... 15 live streams or what have you? Yeah, personally, I don't think it makes any difference. I, I don't agree with it, uh, some things. I love what Chad does. I love Chad. I am a huge supporter of USBC and their programs. I think without USBC, we wouldn't have a sport. We still have the PBA. They're still trying, but without the USBC, there is no sport, in my opinion. So, but anyways, you know, in this day and age, you got the patterns, you, you you can plan your equipment out a little bit better. But the basic thing to me is the best are going to bowl the best. The same teams, the guys are going to still bowl the best. And the people that struggle are still going to struggle. You can, you can give them a roadmap to play the lanes and the bowling balls, but if they're not good enough, they're not going to score. And so I don't think it makes a lot of difference in the, in, you know, flat patterns with slight blends to them. You always start right. You always start straight. You always start with smooth stuff, and you work your way in from there. It's It's been that way ever since I started bowling. You, you just don't go to the middle lane. You play you play further right. You try and figure out the pattern or how it breaks down and go from there. And I think, I think sometimes looking at all those patterns and everything gets people more confused than not because they're expecting the ball to do something that, the pattern says it should, and they're not looking at the reaction of the ball in the lane as well, because topography has such a, a big factor in, uh, in in bowling today with the synthetic lanes because of the inconsistencies in the panels, and you, you still got to look at what the ball does more than anything. And kind of final, you know, final question or comment on that that I had would sort of relates to the same thing. And you you were very close to winning the U.S. Open earlier in your career, weren't you, Bill? Yeah, I finished second. Yeah, what uh, now? What are your thoughts on a, a U.S. Open like what's coming up here shortly, uh, which is one that is an invite-only uh, type of a tournament? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, when I when I bowled the U.S. Open back in the day, which is yeah, I don't know, I think how many years ago? It's forty years ago. It was it was pretty much an invitation tournament. You had the, the touring guys that got in at the next level, just like the regular tournaments. And then you had people that the BPA ran spots where people won spots to it. And the same thing with the Masters. So it's a, going mm. back to the roots a little bit. And uh, mm. I, I think I think it's it's a it's a, it's a good idea because you know when you have guys out there are girls even that can bowl that average 145 150 in a ball in a u.s open it's kind of a to me it's a little bit of an embarrassment for the for the for the integrity of the tournament i think mm-hmm. i think you have to you have to get the cream to the crop and i just happen to look at the list today and all the different levels mm-hmm. of people that get in there and it's it's a pretty spectacular field and that's what it should be at the u.s open i mean you know, I know they went like with Carol Air for 400 entries and stuff like that because the entries fed the tournament, but that doesn't mean it's a it's the right thing to do. Nor does it mean it's the wrong thing to do. But I I don't see anything wrong with doing it that way. Well, very interesting stuff. Again, Bill Spagner joining us on the 
uh, Storm Collegiate Spotlight Podcast. Bill, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. Very much appreciate your insight and sharing some of your knowledge in the sport here. And, and all the best of luck moving forward. And we'd love to catch up again with you soon. Great. Thanks, Tim and Steve. I, I listen to your podcast all the time. It's great stuff. And uh, I'm always interested in what other people have to say. And, uh, and I'm always interested in learning something new.